Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Streaming live on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel, here's Nick and Matt. All right, everybody. Welcome to episode 58. You've been waiting for this one. We have a big winner on the show tonight named Adam Hammes. Do you know anything about Adam, Nick? Uh, I do. I know that he's sitting <laughs> about five feet from me right now, so we're going to bring him on soon enough. But uh, yeah, I know a decent amount about Adam. All right, cool. Uh, I'm excited. I That's probably the best. Uh, I got to be careful. I watched Paul McBeth shoot like a 45 at Maple once on a previous layout, different layout, and I was firsthand for that. That was pretty cool. But this was pretty neat. This was a come-behind win for Adam. We'll talk about it. Um, Nick, we have a lot of outlets for like podcast listeners, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes. I think we've got like Google Play and whatever else, right? If you're listening on any of those platforms, I want everybody to go out and to review it. Nick, have you ever had a chance to check out any of the reviews on our show? Uh, I did early on. I actually haven't as of late. I don't really... Like I was talking to someone the other day and they were talking about whenever they're on uh, post-production and he was like, yeah, I make sure to read every single comment. And I'm like, I have no desire to read every single comment or review. <laughs> okay. So, but will, here's the question though. Will you commit to check out these reviews that come in? If people do them this week, we'll do that. Right. Yeah, I'll absolutely do that. <laughs> I'll be back in Massachusetts uh, next Sunday night. So I'll, I'll definitely take a look at all the reviews within the next six days. I'll take a look at all the reviews for any of the podcast platforms so that Monday night we can talk about it next week. Cool. Yeah. So people, if you want to get a message through to Nick and Matt, just leave it in the review. Like, Hey bro. No, I'm just kidding. Leave your reviews. We love it. If you think we deserve five stars, give us five stars. If you think it's less, give us less. We want to see your honest reviews. It also helps us stay relevant in the disc golf world. Uh, Nick, Let's jump right into, well, right before we do that, how'd you feel about your performance at MVP? The only thing that felt good to me was my circle one X putting. And I'm happy about that because I, you know, I putted, I think a hundred percent or it was a hundred percent. And I think it was 19 out of 19 or 20 out of 20 putts from circle one X, which would be 11 feet to 33 feet. So I did that well. I also was like 50% circle two putting in the last round. I think I was 30% overall throughout the tournament. So putting was a major strong suit, which was awesome because if I was a bad putter, then I would have shot like 40 over instead of six over. And uh, it just sucks because uh, my backhand was non-existent these last few weeks. And my forehand felt pretty good. Uh, a lot of drives that required a forehand I did well on. Um, some off shots I did well on with forehands. But backhand was just kind of a letdown this week. So I'm trying to figure that out now before Green Mountain. Yeah, man. I actually, this might be the first year, and people can say bad co-host, that's cool. But this might be the first year I didn't follow you through your rounds. And is this the worst you've ever performed? <laughs> um, I don't know, actually. I bet you I did worse Okay. Uh, back in 2018. Okay. Yeah, because 2019 I did okay. 2020... I didn't do that great either. 2019 was my best year at this tournament. And then uh, this year, I don't know. If I'm not doing well, I, I don't care about, like, I obviously, I care about how my round is going. I want to play well. Um, I actually, my final round, I had eight birdies. I just also followed it up with, like, seven bogeys and a double bogey in there. So I was it was cool to get eight birdies at Maple Hill, golds. I've never done that before. But, um, 
when I'm shooting like 60th, 70th, 80th place, I don't really care about the ratings at that point. So I don't go back in and look at all my stuff. So I, I don't even know what place I ended up finishing up at. I just wanted to play the last round, hopefully shoot a decent round, which even's not great, but it's not terrible. And then uh, I just went out and watched, I watched Paul's whole round and then I watched the last hole for Adam. And then I had some delicious beer. So that was great. <laughs> Yeah, you that's can. what I was waiting for the most because I knew there was a nice sour beer that Flying Dreams um, had, so I wanted to have a couple of those. Yeah, that picture of Nick and Matt with the winner Adam Hammes is going around, and yes, you're holding that beer. So con- congratulations! I'm the tabletop pie beer someone randomly gave me it. This dude from New York, Enac, who's a good buddy of mine, he uh, just had it in his pocket. He's like, "Yo, you want to try this beer?" I was like, "Hey, absolutely! It's been a long week, sure." All right. They are not official sponsors of the Nick and Matt show. <laughs> That's okay. Nick likes it. All right. They should be. Okay. Um, well, let's get into these, these stats for the MVP. We have stat Mando again, lining us up with some incredible stats. And we're actually going to talk a little about this later, but they had their crew stat Mando actually at this event on specific holes, tracking everything. And so, just to tease it out, things like the speed of the throw, if they're throwing righty, backhand, lefty, forehand, forehand, back, where did they land? Every shot for the whole tournament. There's going to be some incredible stuff coming out. But not those stats specifically right now, just the event stats. We obviously know, Nick. Oh, there's obviously. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, we, we do know who won. And you said he's mm-hmm. close to you now. Let's shout out. Let's just get it out of the way. We'll talk to him in a little bit. Adam Hammes. Um, the biggest stat, and I want you to react to this because you just played the event. The biggest stat that stands out to me is how many strokes Adam gained T to green at Maple Hill. Getting to the green and regulation off the tee pad is incredibly not easy is how I'll put it. What's your reaction to him gaining 28, almost 22 strokes on the whole field doing that? It's, it's wild because... People think, like, people who have never played Maple Hill think that it's a super long course, but it's really not. During the regular year, it's only a par 59. So there's, what, five par fours, which are 1, 11, 12, 17, 18 normally. So the course has a ton of par threes, a majority of par threes, because there's no par fives either. During the tournament, it goes to a par 60, hole nine gets elevated and gets put closer to the water. Um... So the course lengthens up just a little bit. But the difficulty about Maple Hill is that it's hard par threes. It's a lot of hard par threes. Like hole two is not an easy hole to reach. Hole three is an incredibly hard hole to get the two on um, because it's long. You have to throw a perfect S-curve shot for a righty backhand. Hole four is a very tight tunnel. Hole five has a ton of OB. I think hole six is still statistically the hardest par three in the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Um, I'd love it if Evan is somehow, if we could figure that out from stat Mando, what Evan? is statistic hardest part of three? Because I bet you a hundred bucks that it's whole six at Maple Hill golds. Evan, and then, yeah, he's either going to jump in the chat or he can send me a text message either way. But yeah, yeah, that's, I still believe that's probably true as well. Yep. And then, so kind of like looking at Adam's last round, cause we were talking about it last night, you know, he got the deuce on hole seven, which is an incredibly hard hole to get the deuce on. Um, Hole 10 is just straight uphill. Hole 8 was super difficult this year for a lot of people. I mean, they just extending the tee pad back another 50, 60 feet like they did makes that hole like a lot harder. Before, I used to be able to throw a mid-range over hole 8's water. 
And then now I was doing this power forehand with a distance driver. And that's what I'm doing now to get to the green. Um, 13, 14, incredibly hard hole, very easy to go be. 15 is tight, not the hardest hole in the world. But then 16 is the infamous ace hole by Kevin Jones. And then now Gavin Babcock actually aced it the last round, which is pretty sick. Um, that's not an easy par three. And then 17 and 18 are both difficult par fours. So to have 21 strokes gained tee to green is insane. Because, I mean, it also just shows that his fairway hits were first in percentage, his circle one regulation, circle two regulation, and birdie percentage. He was first place in all of those stats. And that just – a majority of that comes from gain tee to green on every single one of those opportunities. It allowed him to putt 88% from circle 1X and be 36th in the field, and it allowed him to still win the event by three strokes just because of how incredible his driving was, which I think has been kind of a storyline this year of getting to certain courses where you really need that drive or that upshot game to succeed rather than, I guess, the putting aspect of it. So that's really good reaction. That's what I was hoping from you. It is really good. Um, so with that in mind, we'll just recap very shortly here. Eagle McMahon tied for second, obviously going, I say, obviously again, Nick, that's now my bad word. So it's, it's, it's rubbed off. I actually on notice when I say it, it's <laughs> annoying. Because I, I probably never would have noticed it before <laughs> until someone said it, until Hannah said something. Did you and see like, Did you see on hole 18, you had a fan out there that had a sign up that said Nick Carl and then another sign that said, obviously. Yeah, Jason put it up there. It was super nice of him. It made me laugh. <laughs> so a fan is out there razzing Nick and during his round. Good, it made you laugh. So Eagle McMahon yeah. tied for second going into the final round. I think it was a four-stroke lead. Yes, Ricky Wysocki yeah. uh, playing pretty good coming down to the tail end of the event there, kind of faltering a little OB. Uh, so tied for second with Eagle was Ricky. Yeah, I was watching Ricky's round because he was playing on the same card as Paul. So I started following them about hole nine. And Ricky, had, I think, birdie 11, birdie 12. He got a really unfortunate kick on hole 13. It looked like one of the most pure drives I've ever seen. It was just a little too high. But the angle of his rock that he threw it on, if it hadn't hit this tree limb and dropped straight down, I think it would have been parked or in that ravine at least to where, you know, now it's a potential birdie. But then 14, he hit a big putt. 15, he hit a big putt. And so I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be a three-way kind of like what's going to go down on hole 18. I thought there was three people going to be in contention to it. And then Ricky threw a drive on hole 16 that just right when it hit a tree immediately shot left OB. And then 17, he threw a great drive through this, what we all thought was a perfect upshot because the crowd started cheering. And then all of a sudden you hear something like, oh, no, don't do that. And then his disc rolled to like 40 feet underneath the tree. So super unfortunate ending for him. But because um, he had a lot of momentum going up to that point. And then I think the OB on 16, the par on 17, at that point, it took him out of the tournament. Yeah. And so talking about unfortunate kicks i'll do it before adam actually comes onto the show there was i think it was round three i think it was round three in hole 16 the famous ace hole from kevin jones adam had what would could be considered a good drive um with any mistakes happening not resulting in ob but he hit a tree on the right side of the fairway sending him 90 degrees left hard into OB. Not very many people go OB on that hole. 
he didn't feel like he deserved it. I watching as a fan didn't feel like he deserved it, but obviously still pulling off the win. Uh, Matt Bell, Calvin Heinberg, Matt Orham rounding out tied for fourth. Let's talk about FPO for just a minute here. Katrina Allen taking it down. And I think this is significant in her press conference leading up to this event. She's like, I think it's my time. Now, does she say that all the time? Maybe, but she felt like it was her time because if you look at the record here, I'm going all the way back to 2012, nine years ago when she and Kale LaVisca won at MVP. But besides that, you had Valerie Jenkins and then you had Paige Pierce winning uh, one, two, three, four, five, six times now. Or let me see, one, two, three, four. Yeah, six times. And Sarah Hokum. So like Katrina, this has not been her event. She took it down uh, convincingly. And you have Kona Panis, second place. Paige Pierce, this is a surprise. This is her event to win. Do you have any reaction to Paige Pierce taking third place, finishing eight back on Katrina Allen? What do you think? I mean, for how incredibly tight FPO has been this year, I'm not surprised with like Katrina winning the event, Kona getting second, Paige getting third. I'm more surprised of Paige losing by eight strokes. That's where I'm kind of like, Ah, uh, that does surprise me. Normally, she plays very, very well at this course. It's obviously been seen in years past that she plays well at this event. Um, so to lose it by eight strokes, I think that's just kind of like the testimony of the what's going on in the parody of what's going on this year in the FPO division of lately it has been. If it's your weekend to shine, it's your weekend to shine. And there's been so many different winners this year. Now that we're getting to the back half of the year, almost like the back quarter at this point, you have players winning multiple times. Katrina's just coming off from the national tour win, and then now for the Disc Golf Pro Tour win. So it's it's just been a great year to follow along for the FPO division. Yeah. So Haley King taking fourth place. Uh, Tiger Borth tied for fifth with Missy Gannon, both 12 strokes back. So when you look at the field, again, convincingly Katrina Allen because the closest was Kona Panis at seven down. Now Kona came out the first two rounds showing that she has a chance and is here to play uh, faltering a little bit in the last round, but everybody's kind of right there. And it's weird to see Paige Pierce in that mix again at an event that she's so dominant yeah. at Katrina Allen yeah. showing up. Congratulations to her. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not surprised that she was in content or I'm not surprised that anyone would have lost this event it's more surprising that she did lose it by eight strokes. I think that's kind of like the more storyline that I get from this event. Okay. Um, I'm trying to remember the question we asked Statman to live here. He answered. He said number 18 at Waco and number six at MVP, but I don't remember what your question was, Nick. Uh, I have okay. to think of that now. That's so funny. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, Chad, what was my question? That's okay. No, no, no. We'll just move on here. So we're going to talk more about stats by Statmando. Again, we will get to that, but we've got uh, Adam Hannemus lined up here. But before we get to him even, we want to say thank you to those who support uh, the Nick and Matt show. So let's jump right into it. All right, everybody. Shout out to Manscaped. Autumn is in the air. The pumpkins are in the patch. And our friends at Manscaped are here to make sure you don't call, carve, don't carve. Your pumpkins when you're grooming, if you know what I'm saying. So make sure you're keeping things fresh this fall with the leaders in male grooming and their brand new fourth generation performance package. I have that package. Uh, I had to look this word up, Nick. You ready? Boys, get ready for a cuffing season like no other. Cuffing. I'm like, oh boy. 
what are we talking about? Cuffing season. So I looked it up, Urban Dictionary, didn't know what I was going to find. But get ready for cuffing season. I'll tell you what that means in a minute. <laughs> cuffing season <laughs> like no other. Are you ready to take the leap this fall with Manscaped? Join the 2 million men worldwide using Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com, 20% off. You see it on the screen. Using Nick and Matt, free shipping as well as part of that. Nick, I have the Performance Package 4.0. What is your product of choice right now with Manscaped? Uh, to be honest, I think the the lawnmower, the 2.0. Or excuse me, the, uh, the Weed Whacker, the 2.0. Because that one, I, randomly, every so often, that little nose hair comes out. Don't know why. But I just take the little Weed Whacker, go in, it buzzes around for a couple seconds, and then no more nose hair. And it's incredible. But with the Performance Package, the 4.0, you actually get the lawnmower 4.0, the weed whacker, which is an ear, nose, hair trimmer. Uh, you get crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, which are super comfortable, and you get a travel bag to put everything in that travel bag, which is also just another incredible handy tool to have with your set of handy tools. That's right. So Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their performance package. Go over and get it using Nick and Matt. Uh, boxers and the shed travel bag get comfy on the home and on the go this season, especially disc golfers on the go. I'll tell you, they do have a good product. Nick, as we wrap up this ad, everyone loves ads, but how about if we give you a nugget of information, cuffing season in the chat, let me know what is cuffing C U F F I N G cuffing season. If you were like me, you had to go over to UrbanDictionary.com. and Nick, what did you say it was earlier? Uh, I said, like, you start dating someone or you get hitched or something like that. Yes. And I said, you are very close. It's not just getting hitched. It's specifically a time of the year. So, like, the fall's rolling in and you're going to find your one. You're going to get, like, committed relationship through the winter season. I thought that was, I've never heard that, cuffing season. The winter season, getting serious with a relationship. So, everybody, manscaped.com com code nick and matt 20 percent off thank you for the support they're supporting disc golfers like us go check out their product you will love it all right nick i think we've made it to that time where we're gonna bring in honestly we're ready i think are you ready bring in adam hamas all right everybody welcome to the show mr adam hamas Welcome to the show, Adam. Are you still, uh, like, I don't know, reeling from your win? How does it feel right now? Uh, it's, you know, it's still settling, settling in, uh, feeling good. Kind of just took the day to you know, decompress and take it all in, so it's been great. Okay, so Nick, you're, you're in the same room as him. I know it can be weird since asking questions to the guy next to you, but feel, yeah. feel free to do it. But here's my follow-up. What... I asked you this yesterday, but I didn't want to get your answer yesterday. I wanted to like have it on the show. What is the like literal feeling? How would you describe winning? First of all, this is your second time, but this is your first DGPT. What does it feel like to win this big of an event? Because I will never do it. And I just want you to like shed some of the feelings of what you were having in that moment. Uh, you know, obviously it feels amazing, but uh, I think... When I was stepping on the tee of 18, I knew I'd just get par to win the tournament. And uh, I was, you know, starting to shake. I was definitely, you know, the nerves were definitely on, even though I still had to get par with the two-stroke lead. But, uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot of things going on in your head. It's it's pretty pretty wild. Um, 
kind of undescribable, honestly. Um, we just, I don't know. <laughs> Pretty hard to describe. I feel like, though, that's what you need to go into hole 18 at Maple Hill is at least two strokes. Because then you have the opportunity to play for par. But your opponent has to go for the birdie to make any sort of run to put any pressure on you. So Eagle was in that position to where you threw your upshot first. So he saw you lay up. You got just up to the top of the mouth to where you're now jump putting at it. And then Eagle throws a shot OB. What is kind of like your feeling of, okay, thank God. Like, what, like, what is going on? Um, you know, once I threw that second shot to the mouth, I knew I could just jump put up and, you know, get, you know, get my par. So, um, I don't know. Having two strokes, I knew I could get par. Even if I bogeyed with Eagle missing it, I still would have won. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely definitely had the pressure on, on the TOV team, but I knew I could just, you know, get a par. Um, luckily, snuck through the trees on the right side because I kind of just yanked my drive over there because I was scared that he'll be on the left. But Which might have been, you heard Matt and I talking about it earlier, but your driving capability off the tee this weekend was insane. Your game tee degree percentage and game tee uh T degree and strokes was like over 23. Mm-hmm. So talk to us, where did that, you know, were you relying on the backhand, the forehand, what this were you rely on? You know? Uh, yeah, my backhand was uh, really smooth this week. I worked on it, you know, hard for my off week in Virginia and then going into Delaware, you know, I had, you know, moments of promise with my backhand and I'd have a couple bad holes, but uh, this week it kind of all came together and, you know, my backhand comp is an undertaker, which is, Hard for me to get to a get to a spot where I'm throwing the Undertaker really well. Um, you know, I got to a spot where I could throw the Undertaker well, and I knew if I could throw that disc well, I could throw almost any disc in my bag. And, and you know, I just had my my bag dialed, I had my shots dialed. Uh, I love the course, I love the shots. It's, it forces me to throw. I feel like it suits my game. Long, you know, flexing on it shots and you know, I just flip straight shots and buzz shots and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I was going to say, you have said, I think probably in your interviews, uh, this is your favorite tournament every single year to go to, and it's on your favorite course. What about the course and the tournament make you feel that way? Is it staying somewhere that's only five minutes away, so it's nice and convenient for you? <laughs> or, uh, yes, <laughs> Kodak Carl Sanger House is very convenient five miles down the road. Uh, no, there's a lot of things. I think uh, just like camaraderie, the people that go into this tournament, uh, just the history uh, the course is just beautiful. You have the pine trees. You have inside going into the woods, out of the woods. You have the lakes, the water features. This year, the, the course had a little extra water on it, so we had some casual water creeks kind of just rolling through the course. And it's just it just sets the, you know the vibe kind of for a really cool course. And there's every hole, every tee I step on. I just think how great of a course this is. Mm-hmm. I just feel really comfortable there. And um, yeah, it's similar to the golf I played growing up. It's long wooded, you know. So it'll be. So, yeah, I just have confidence. I just really like this. Awesome. Can I also allude to the fact that you came on the Nick and Matt show the week of? Now, let me just point out. You can say, oh, that's that's cool. But the, the previous year before, we had Paul on the show the week of, and he won that year. Now, we kind of cast our net a little larger this year. We had six players in the room. We had like seven players. <laughs> we... We had to keep our percentage chances higher. So next year we'll bring in like 12 and <laughs> we got to promote the Nick and Matt show. Um, but- just, just hold on, Matt. This is what we actually did figure out that over the last three years, whoever has stayed at my parents' house has won the tournament. So I said, you know, oh, Adam, do you already want to book your spot for next year? Just kind of like joking around. And I'm thinking in my head, I was like, you know what? No, 
no one is staying at my house next year. Not even my parents are staying at my house next year. The only people that are staying there is me, myself, and I, because I want to win this tournament now. So everyone else has been kicked out. They all have to find their own lodging now. But no, just kidding. Uh, the last three years, though, it has been kind of funny that the winner of the event has stayed at my house. So we're going to try to go four for four now. <laughs> three for yeah. <laughs> okay, let me let me give you this stat, Adam. Or not, it is stats. It's stats. Here we go. Um, I find it interesting. I'd love your reaction to it. And we're going to start in 2018, then 19, and then we'll talk about this year. Uh, I'll get it out specifically. You came back to win at the 2018 Silver Cup, trailing by five strokes to Kayla Visca in the final round. 2019, you came back to win, uh, trailing four strokes to Austin Hannum in the final round at the Wintertime Open. 2021, Shelly Sharp Memorial trailing by four strokes to Drew Gibson in the final round. That was this year. And then again this year, 2021, trailing by four strokes to Eagle McMahon at the MVP Open. Is that something that's just you thrive off of what is your reaction to that stat coming back to win like that in those events? Um, you know, comebacks are fun. <laughs> uh, I definitely like being down. It kind of gives me like, I have nothing to lose. I can kind of fight and, you know, play aggressive and, um, try to execute every hole perfectly. Uh, you know, when you're in the lead, you kind of have to maintain and kind of play like more strategic golf. But you know, if you're three, four back, you just pedal to the metal. So I kind of like those situations and I, I guess I, uh, I didn't realize I had this many comebacks. <laughs> I know. It's kind of insane, actually. So that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, that's cool reaction from you not even realizing that. And, I mean, again, Stat Mando, we thank them very much for that. You got to meet Stat Mando, didn't you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, super cool. There, so. Yeah, they are very cool. We're going to talk about that later. I keep teasing it. Um, react to this. UDISC just updated their world rankings. Do you know where you're at with that ranking? I think I saw them in fifth now. If I'm not mistaken, he bumped top line. Yeah, I bumped Kyle. I don't know. I think he was fifth before. Am I fifth? Uh, that is my understanding. I actually didn't look myself. Thanks to the chat for shouting that out. They're saying top five in the world to Adam Hammes. Uh, oh. What's your reaction? You feel like that's good? Does that does that inspire you? What does it do? It feels good, you know. Um, that's a pretty big jump, 14th to fifth. But I, I mean, yeah, it feels really good, you know, being top five player in the world. Uh, is, I don't even know what to say. It's crazy. <laughs> I, I will tell you from my perspective, I'm lucky that I started to get to know you a few years ago. So it doesn't look like I'm jumping on the bandwagon. Now you are an incredible player. Uh, we're very privileged to have you come on the show. And like you do, you're like, yeah, I'm down. You love it. And I appreciate that a lot. Um, I'm trying to think here. One other stat, and this was said live on DGN. Uh, you're the fourth player. Only the, There's only been three other players besides you to win an NT and a Disc Golf Pro Tour in the same year. Does that stat matter to you? I think it sounds pretty cool. How do you feel about it? Um, It definitely feels pretty cool. Um, it's definitely the most interesting stat that I kind of heard with all you know the new stats coming from, from Maple Hill and Stat Mando. Um, yeah, I, I didn't realize only three other people have done that. I feel like there's a lot more. I guess the pro tour hasn't been along around as long as the national tour. So and then people who have won national tours in the past, maybe haven't got their pro tour win yet. But, huh. Yeah. True. Yeah. It's crazy. Look at one of the stats is Paul has done that five times. And so throughout like how many pro tour events are there per year and how many national tour events per year. Macbeth has won it five times doing that. Why has done it four times and then he goes done it once. 
And I want to say it was probably the year that, what, Eagle won um, Beaver State Fling at some point and then won a Pro Tour after that. I'm not sure which ones. But, yeah, shout out to the guys over at Statmando doing all these stats. And then we actually have a bunch more about, like, one of the holes at Maple Hill. Just incredible stats that they come up for us. Yeah, and I want to go back to a moment during the final round where I think, and, and I hate to bring up the fact that you missed a putt. You, you, did, you did a great job winning a tournament, but on hole 14, and I mentioned this to you following the round because Jeff Corns, this is final round, Jeff Corns, your caddy and friend and a lot of other things, right? He goes, Matt, I expect you to go hype, yell the hammer. You, you got to effing do this when he hits this putt. <laughs> on 14 and I was I think you talked about shaking on hole 18 I started like shaking on 14 because I was like so ready to go hype and then it didn't happen because you missed the putt but yeah can you talk about that a little bit because Jeff actually mentioned that he's like Adam feeds off the energy is that true or is that his perspective <laughs> yeah I definitely feed off the crowd energy you know card mates energy I mean there's definitely certain players on tour that you know I can feed off of and we can hype each other up more a uh, great example is, you know, Wysocki. Uh, I played second round with Ricky, and we were just kind of pumping each other up all the time, and we both, you know, shot good, smooth rounds. Um, but, yeah, definitely feeding off the energy, and if there's that extra one loud guy in the crowd yelling the hammer, I guess, then, uh, yeah, definitely feed <laughs> off it. Definitely uh, makes me smile and keeps the keeps the tension, I guess, a little looser in those situations. So. Well, I mean, we talk, uh, one of the greatest things about Maple Hill is Maple – to me, and I've been to a decent amount of pro tour events. I have not been to them all. I have not been, you know, to a ton of events that have massive crowds. But Maple Hill, because I've lived there, you know, close to there for so long, um, Maple Hill always had that great, like, whole 18 vibe. But then that whole 18 vibe turned into a whole 1 vibe, a whole 8 vibe, a whole 14 vibe, and then a whole 18 vibe. And so now you have all these different places where people are cheering. And I think... We're going to talk about this a little bit later too, Matt, but the eight holes, you know, did you have any fun experiences with the eight holes or does that something like, what do you feel about the eight holes? Kind of like, let's take it where you're walking up to hole eight, you have this massive crowd sitting out there, you have a great island shot that you need to hit, but then talk about it when you're on hole like five or six and all of a sudden you hear random cheering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like the eight holes. I think it's great. It just adds to, you know, everything that goes on at eight holes. I know some of the players get frustrated over the, the loud noise, but, you know, honestly, the, with how big disc golf's getting, there's just going to be more fans, and the crowds are going to get louder and wilder, so. Um, I don't know. It doesn't really bother me. Uh, I definitely didn't try to let, you know, the eight holes, you know, distract me in the final round. I kind of, you know, necessarily didn't come down the fairway, you know, nodding at everyone and, you know, trying to have a you know, fun little time. I was trying to stay calm, keep my head down, and, you know, keep keep doing what I was doing. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I love the eight holes. Um, they, <laughs> they're pretty wild, so. Or running around with green flags screaming yeah. yeah there was like these you know this it was probably a dad and his two kids and they had this like synchronized notion or emotion of <laughs> when someone landed in bounds they would all run a different direction it was awesome it, i i think it's great yeah it i think it's a fun time and i mean you know landing in bounds they get hyped up making that deuce butt they get hyped up but even like landing ob they all yell ah oh, but then those drops and the new drops on this year hole eight opened up this opportunity of these really fun drop zone putts. Mm -hmm. And every single time someone hit a drop zone putt, they went probably more ballistic than they did on some of the drives. 
because of how fun that shot is to watch from the drop zone. So it's a big jump up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hate to do this, Adam, but someone in the chat named Tyler's Real Fishing, they just will not leave you alone. Here we go. What do you got for me now? Yeah, every single time he says, this is this is harsh. I don't know if, I, maybe I shouldn't read it. Here we go. Adam Hammes is a top five loser in the world. There you go. <laughs> I'm genuinely curious. I don't even know what to say to that. He must be following Foundation, because unless you reshared it, no. He must be following Foundation, because uh, I don't think he follows me on Instagram, so I'm wondering how does he even know that Adam was coming on the show? Definitely Foundation. Got to be following Foundation. Okay, sorry I brought that up. We know that's, yeah. All right. You're you're a winner to us. Okay. Um <laughs> Let's see here. Let's um do I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to react to with you here on the show. There's a couple other things we'd like to do. Um let's go ahead and if you're cool with it, let's jump into a stat or fiction. You've played this with us before. Are you down to do that again? Absolutely. All right. Here we go. Thanks to Stat Mando for Stat Fiction. Just a reminder. A stat would be something like Nick Carl is rated higher or better than me, Matt Graham. That's easy, stat. Example number two, Nick Carl has more disc golf pro or tour wins than Paul McBeth. That would be fiction. Stat. (laughs) All right, so let's get into it. Question number, I always say question. It's stat, it's phrase number one. Is it true or false? Here we go. Adam Hammes has never won a PDGA event on the same day, the Milwaukee Bucks have beaten an Eastern Conference NBA team. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Come on. <That's... laughs> I mean, that's, what is this? If that's a stat, I'm just, I'm so beyond impressed by the stat man, though, guys, now that they would even think to look something up like that. I'm going to go with the stat, though. I don't think he's ever won the day that they've played an Eastern Conference team and won their game. <laughs> I don't know. All right, I'm going to roll the dice like Nick usually does, and I'm going to say fiction just because I have to get a point somehow. Here we go. Let's see how it plays out. Uh, I get the point. It is actually fiction. So here's the backup for that. The backup is in 2021 on June 13th. So this year, June 13th, the Bucks won versus, uh, I don't realize this name, BKN. Anyways. Brooklyn. Okay, Brooklyn. Thank you. I'm not a big basketball guy. Hamas won the resistance disc open. Um, why would that not be? Okay. They're not an Eastern Conference team. Is that what we're saying? Brooklyn? No, they are. I wonder if it was on a Saturday that they played Brooklyn and then Adam won it on a Sunday, maybe. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Anyways, for April 22nd, 2018, Bucks win versus Boston. Hamas won the Rumble. So, fiction. Adam Hamas has never won a P. So, he has won. Oh. We're reading it backwards. We're saying it's fiction. It it's, means he has won on those days. Because this, this, the stat. Oh, I get what you're saying. I get what the, sta- okay. <laughs> the statement makes- says Adam Hammes has never won on those days. Yep. <laughs> That's yep. fiction because you have. Okay, here we go. I took, okay, my, I, when I said stat, I was saying he's won on the same day. So we get the point. <laughs> Technically, we were wrong because we said stat, but I, I heard it as. <laughs> All right, All right we botched that. You, we botched that. Okay. Yep. All right. That's okay. Sorry, Statman. It was a very cool stat. Incredible stat. Right, here we go. Stat or fiction number two. Hamas 
has made more total career cash in events when he wins than total career cash in events when he does not win. So here's how I take that. You add up all the cash from your wins at events, and you compare that to all the cash you've ever earned that were at events you didn't win. Which one is more? So it says he has made. So if you're saying it's a stat, we're saying you have made more during your wins than anything else. Or if we're saying it's fiction, you have not. I feel like it's fiction. I feel like I've made more outside of just the wins. Okay. How many wins do you think you have? I think I have 25 or 26 wins. And then, but that's not pro wins. Yeah, yeah. Pro wins I have. Yeah. You play a large number of events every single year. Yeah, I play 20, 25. These wins lately, though. I mean, okay. I think I made for 45. <laughs> 75. 75. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. $7,500 at MVP. So here's the thing. Add that into your total and have you, so what do you say, Adam? Have you made more at wins or more in your total career outside of wins? Total career. Okay. So I'm, that's. I'm going to go with wins. You know, wins? I don't think so. I feel like. Oh boy. All right. Resistance. I'm going to roll with Adam because I feel like he knows himself and I'm just going to play that game. Here we go. Be bad as if he. Especially after the last, what, two, three years of getting yeah, some decent wins. Okay. It is fiction, and this means Adam was correct. I was correct. Here's, this, here's the backup for that. The backup is that your total cash wins was 24722 plus MVP open winnings. So maybe we're up to 30-something there, 31. I don't think it was posted when the stat was made, possibly. Um, but your total cash in non-wins... You you might know this. Any guess, Adam? Mm, it's got to be like forty or fifty thousand, right? Okay. Yes, fifty-eight thousand five hundred eighty-one dollars. So, but you're starting to catch up. You're starting to catch up. That'd be nice to get the win, the win money up to the total earned. <laughs> I wanna I wanna know that for some more pros now. Interesting. You know I mean? Yeah. Well, we can assume safely that Paul Macbeth has earned more with wins than, well, maybe not. That's interesting. Okay, here we go. Final one, stat, yeah, stat or fiction number three. And speaking of Paul Macbeth, <laughs> Paul Macbeth has the record for highest round rating ever in both Massachusetts and Vermont. So if we're looking at the highest rounds ever happening in Massachusetts, and if we're looking at the highest round ratings ever in Vermont, does Paul Macbeth hold both of those? I will start and say, I only know answer to one of that. And I would say that, yes, Maple Hill is one. Is 45 at Maple Hill has to be the highest ever in Massachusetts. That's, I only know one side of it. I don't know about Vermont. What's your reaction? Uh, I'm going to go with no. I know Massachusetts, he has the highest one. But I think Vermont, I think Ricky does. He shot like an 11.08 rated round at GMC years ago. So I'm going to go with, that'd be fiction. Do you, do you agree, Adam? Um, I'm I'm on the same boat you're on. Like, I'm pretty sure that 45 has got to be the highest match series, but I, I don't know anything too much about highest rate at GMC. I think it was like 26. Ricky, Ricky throwing down 1100 doesn't sound. Doesn't well, sound Ricky, right. Ricky's also been playing this event since like 2013, when it used to. That's true. So I'm pretty Ricky's sure there's dedicated to GMC. I'm pretty sure Smashbox TV has a filmed round. Of just Ricky's shot, where he says, "I'm going to show you how to throw an 1100 rated round at Fox Run," and then he proceeds to throw. 
like an 1108 rated round. So I'm going to say fiction because Ricky. Yeah, I'm going to follow along with Nick. Fiction. Okay. I can't make an answer because on accident I glanced. Here's the results. It is fiction. And fiction is supported by this stat. Highest Massachusetts round rating ever. We agree. 1121 Paul Macbeth 2013 Vibram Open. Highest Vermont round rating ever. We were wrong. Paul Uliberry, 2018 Worlds. 1092. Now, to bring into question what you guys brought up, Macbeth shot a 1,091 rated round. So he was literally one point off that rated round. So pretty much a dead heat. And that was 2019 GMC. So anyways, good rounds coming out of them. Um, That is our stat or fiction. Stat Mando, by the way, is tracking these stats of how this game plays out. So we are now tracked our performances on the show. I don't know. I don't know who won this time. Nick, do you feel like you won or Adam won? No, I think I think Adam technically did. Yeah, because I got Boom. I don't know if I got one right. Are we not counting the first one? No, we don't count the first one. Technically we were wrong. Oh yeah, that's tough. Yeah, I mean yeah. but you guys I But I knew I knew what you meant though. <laughs> all all right. Uh let's let's close it out here. We appreciated very much having Adam Hammes on the Nick and Matt show. So Adam, we're going to let you have the closing words here. Um, anybody you'd like to shout out, anything you'd like to thank your mom, anybody, I don't know, go, go for it. It's your, it's your uh, microphone. I'd like to thank you guys for all you know, the invite back right after uh, the win. Uh, definitely love being on the Nick and Matt show. Uh, thank you to Maple Hill. Thank you to MVP. Uh, thank you to um, all the staff. Uh, Steve Dodge, everything that went into, uh, you know, my favorite turn of the year. Um, it was awesome. Um, super pumped to take it down. And then, uh, you know, thank you to my sponsors, Discraft, Grip Equipment, and Resistance Discs. Wouldn't be, uh, be able to do it without you guys. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much, Adam Hammes. I, I mean, honestly, you are free to stick around as long as you want, but I think it's easier sometimes if if you feel like you want to go to this goes, it's up to you, but, um, we're going to, yeah, ca- I'm going to some dinner. So, uh, great. Yeah. Thanks he's he's going to go party. He just made a crap ton of money. Great. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to party. He's going to go blow it all I'm on the go. countless things that we have to do here in Vermont, which is <laughs> practically nothing. All <laughs> right. Yuli wants a ping pong. A hundred dollar ping pong matches. <laughs> wow. Per, per <laughs> point. Yeah. Per oh, point. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Adam, for coming on. Go enjoy your dinner, and good luck up there. We'll be following closely over here at the Nick and Matt Show. Peace. Thank you, guys. All right. Peace out, bud. everybody. All right. Nick? I'm still looking at that stat. I'm pretty sure Ricky holds the highest rated round of Vermont. Oh, boy. Imagine that. In a stat or fiction game, the stat or fiction was wrong. Now we have to do stat or fiction on the stat or fiction game. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I got a stat or fiction of so. statter. All right, here, here's what I want to do real quick. I don't do this very often, but I met at Maple Hill today a fan of the show all the way from, ready, Nick? Scotland. Scotland, everybody. He had the full Scottish accent. He was there with his dad. It was epic. A shout out to Fergus. It was really cool. So we've got fans all over, Nick. Yeah. So. Awesome. All right. Um, let's talk a little bit about... And this is not going to be a long topic here, but live coverage on DGN. I have been nothing short of impressed 
the whole season. Like, absolutely awesome. Is it the best? Is it million-dollar production like PGA or NFL or anybody else? No. But are they doing things that only those places do? They kind of are. Their replays, their camera angles, the quality, it's all really pretty good. Yeah. People tuning in for the Maple Hill, or Maple Hill, see, the, the name's changed so many times. The MVP Open, uh, for the first time, are complaining. Wow, I'm going to cancel my subscription. I just signed up. I'm going back to Jomez. Mm-hmm. Nick, what's the cell phone coverage like, first of all, what's the cell phone coverage like at Maple Hill when you're there for a casual round with your phone? Well. We noticed that during the practice rounds, whole 10, 11, 12 have awful service. You can't even check Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, anything like that. So the cellular coverage out there, especially when it comes to like data and everything like that, is not great. And I think we're hitting a stretch of tournaments that we're going to struggle with that. Um, wooded courses are going to create these issues, and disc golf is not at a point yet to where I – I don't know anything about data towers, cell phone towers and everything like that. So I don't know what the solution is for it, but I know that we are going to be in a bit of a rough patch. Um, hopefully the coverage out here is amazing because these courses are amazing to watch and amazing to see. Um, but yeah, Maple Hill, it's not, it's not the best. I guess my feeling and just to wrap up this topic, because we talk about it fairly often, but it's coming up again because the coverage is a little stuttery is what we'll say again, poor service. They do, they do test runs at these venues and they felt like, and they had talked to the cell providers and everything seemed like it was going to be the best year yet. But when you also add hundreds more people at the venue than you've ever had over a yeah. thousand people on Maple Hill property, all of a sudden the cell providers look and go, that is a hot zone. We're literally seeing red all over that location, specifically in Leicester. And it just bogs down the network. They're going to work. They have plans already for the future. But if that's your first experience of DGN, I get it that you're bummed. But man, you can't base it off of that one event. Um, no, you can't. It's a larger topic. What, it is, because I think that's, you know, that's not going to get figured out for another three years, to be honest. And I think there are certain courses that are not, like Masters Cup, Santa Cruz, they can't run any live coverage out there because the coverage is so horrendous if they even tried to, they, they just can't. And that creates it to where now we're back on the post-produced train of, you know, let's just wait for the post-produced coverage to come out and everything like that. So I think it's, it's not an issue that's going to get solved this year, maybe next year. I don't know. I know Jeff is trying to do a bunch of different things. And like you said, he's test running all these events to make sure that the coverage is good. But I think with the explosion and the expansion of the, uh, the sport, we're going to struggle with more and more casual people, uh, spectators, fans, and everything like that. And that's going to bog down the services like you were just talking about. Yeah. And it's also, it is a much bigger conversation. Like you said, um, Masters Cup out at Day Law, like they didn't even try because it was that bad. At least at Maple Hill, they're able to get most of it in. And with the multiple camera coverage, they're usually able to, able to go somewhere on the course that you can still get coverage. I get it. If this wasn't my home course, I'd probably be maybe a little bit more skeptical of, you know, the coverage. But, like, I generally think the product is good. It's going to continue to get better. It's part of the growing pains right now. But the network themselves are doing a great job. All right, Nick. Yeah. Let's talk about um, 
a general reactions to UDISC, not rankings, but the standings from the MVP Open. And just generally, if you feel like, yeah, they got Maple Hilled, <laughs> as in it got the best of them, or do you think just generally their performance is starting to, uh, it was waning, like it declined just because they weren't playing well. Not, I guess you can kind of understand what I'm saying. So let's talk down the list here. Paul Macbeth, 11th place. Any reaction to that? Um, I mean, he was struggling with shaping shots in the correct way. His putting was not great. Um, I was talking to him throughout his final round, and one of his biggest issues was he couldn't string together more than one or two birdies at a time. And that was his issue all weekend. He said, even the round that he shot eight down, which was round two, it was bogey-free, I don't think there's a turkey of birdies in there. And at Maple Hill, you know, you kind of need that, especially you're not going to shoot every single round bogey-free. I don't know if that's ever happened to where someone shot three bogey-free rounds at Maple Hill, and I don't think it ever will happen. Um, so at that course, you need to get as many birdies in a row as you can. And getting these small stretches like three, four, five, or even two, three, four, five, and then going on to, you know, 10, 11, 12, getting birdie, birdie, birdie. There's a couple stretches in there that you need to get at least two out of three of those birdies in order to shoot a good round without making mistakes on other holes too. Because every single hole, you know, for the most part at that course, has a bit of scoring separation. I was talking with some friends on my car, uh, my card mates who were some friends of mine, and we had kind of come to the realization, like, a lot of these holes, they are score separated, uh, which is awesome, but there are a few holes. Like, hole four is very easy to just get up and down for a par. If anyone wanted to play that hole for par, it's very easy. You just got to jump putt off the tee pad, make it past the first four trees, and then jump putt again, and you're at the basket. So, I mean... Holes like that, I don't necessarily enjoy. I don't like holes that don't have a lot of scoring separation. But then the hole before it and the hole after it both can cause two-stroke, three-stroke swings just like that. I mean, hole five, it's only, what, less than 300 feet? Maybe 320 feet. No, not even, probably. Less than a 300-foot par three. And I think there was multiple sevens on it. So quadruple bogeys, triple bogeys. I took a double bogey on it in the first round. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of playing out how Maple Hill goes. So with that in mind, I'm going to give yeah. you um, some other names and we can kind of just group it all together. Probably just the same as what you were just saying, but let's talk about it. Chris Dickerson, 17th. Uh, Emerson Keith, 21. James Conrad, 21. Uh, let's keep going down here. Nico, 29th. Uh, Garrett Gerthy, 29th. Paul Uliberry, 29th. And these are kind of far down the list. Kevin Jones, 34th. And I'm skipping a lot of names here, just picking out some of these bigger names. Um, Kyle Klein. Honestly, we've been talking about him, and, and I've even been on record somewhere saying, like, he's on, and this is one performance, I get it, but he's been on such a hot streak. I was like, he's on his way to becoming the next Eagle, meaning, like, he's on his track to do that. He probably still is, of course, but 40th place at an event that he actually came breaking out last year. This was the event. Kyle Klein taking 40th place. Um, let me see here real quick before I move on, get your reaction on this, if there's anyone else. Bradley Williams, he won this event. Uh, when was yeah. that? He won this event back in 2016. He goes to 57th place. Um, and if I keep going down, Austin Hannum, who had a great round down in Delaware, 60th place, and so on and so forth. As I continue to go down, there's some names down the list that are surprising to see down where they are. Do you just generally say, 
Maple Hill is a demanding course and you can't show up every single week. Yeah, Maple Hill is a very demanding course. It's a very frustratingly demanding course to where, let's take hole six, for example. It's a very, very hard par three. A lot of players could throw a putter straight down the gap. But the thing is, even doing that, it leaves you a difficult second shot to where one little tree kick, it throws you OB. But if you try to power it off the tee, you have potential to get into birdie position, get a putt at it. But at the same time, there's so many trees and there's so many easy directions that can kick you into to an awful place that it makes the hole really, really difficult. Seven is the same way. There's no OB on seven. Uh, there's OB very early. But you hit one tree just slightly the wrong way and it kicks you way right. You're probably walking away with a bogey. It's just it's a very demanding course off the tee pad. I think every single year, whoever wins this event is dominating off of the tee pad. That's how it has to be done. I mean, I look at this like um, what James Conrad has won this event, right? Yeah, James Conrad, so I'm kind of surprised at his placing. Bradley Williams, he's won it in years past. But then also the Chris Dickerson one, who's such a great player in the woods. That just shows you that this course is hard. This course is demanding. You have to average over 1060 rated golf to win this tournament. And you got you got to be smooth off the tee pads. Yeah. And so part of this conversation then goes to the idea. And I was able to be one of the guys asking questions in the press conference for the DGN, which side note, we missed this part of our topic here with DGN. There's more than live coverage on DGN. There are legit other shows. We know party podcasts. There's others, including cool features done by other media artists and all that stuff. It's, it's not crazy to support them just for the other stuff as well. Long story short, yeah. go support them. But here's the follow-up in reaction to what you're saying, like players that have played so well and have won in the past. It's not because it's a fluky course. It's just super demanding. And whoever shows up is going to get it done. So here's, here's what I did in the press conference. I asked the question to some of the players. I don't remember exactly which ones, but the question is, do you feel like having one win or two wins on the elite series each year is going to be a big deal in the future? And maybe it's the transition right now. The PGA, if you win an event or two a year, big wins. That's, that's all that matters. You keep going. You keep making your money. What do you think, Nick? Like, generally, do you think that's what's starting to happen with all the players in the sport, like, competing for a win? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, like we were just talking to Adam about it. He won 7500 bucks to throw a disc for three days and kick some ass while doing it. And so, yeah, I think in years past, with how, with how big the Pro Tour is getting and how much they are improving, especially when it comes to what their qualification for out of cash is going to be at Pro Tour events, I think players are going to start making eight to nine to ten grand per event. And I think in the future, I think there's going to be one event a year that is going to pay out just a ridiculous. Like right now it's the Pro Tour Championships, but I think there's going to be another event every single year that pays out a ridiculous amount of money is potentially a very top-heavy paying tournament, which I want to see. You know, I do want to see that one tournament be life-changing for a player. I mean, the World Championships, James won 16500 bucks at it and then sold a crap ton of discs on the side of it and probably up to sponsorship contract. So, I mean, winning Worlds is an absolute life-changer in disc golf. But when it comes to Pro Tour events, yeah, I think winning two a year right now is pretty career changing because then it also, as more players become open with their contracts, it's going to allow players to know, know their worth and know like, you know, say player A is making more than player B, but player B has more accolades over the last two years. Player B is not going to be able to say, Hey, he makes player A makes this, but he doesn't have any big wins. And I've won three pro tour series events in the last two years. 
And so that's also just winning events is going to help out with your manufacturer sponsor, which is for a lot of people, the main source of income currently. Yeah. And I just did the math. Thanks to Stab Mando for providing the scores for all these players, breaking it down a total of 158 for Adam Hammes. And then Adam telling us what he made at this event being 7,500. If you break it down, it's $47 and just about 50 cents per throw. Imagine that if you could throw and almost make, almost make $50 for every throw at a tournament. Cha-ching. Dude, that's awesome. Especially imagine this, you get $50 to throw a shot bad. Exactly. You know? <laughs> Even like the he, OB stroke. <laughs> he missed the putt. He went OB on a hole, I'm sure. Like, and he still made fifty dollars off of it. That's awesome. Ooh. And that's 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 only gonna increase. Statmando needs to break this one down. You're right. I'm just kidding. They don't need to go this far. But yes, OB strokes are technically not throws. It's like a penalty added on. So technically, Adam made more than forty seven dollars and fifty cents per yeah. throw. <laughs> For throw, technically, yeah. Exactly. Awesome. Did we ever figure out what the question was earlier that I said, I wonder if this happened and Evan sent us? I Dude, I'm going to have to read. This will be like one of the few times that I re-listen to our podcast. <laughs> I'm just going to have to, because I, I want to know what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> I know. We'll have to go back. Okay. Yeah. Um, before we move on, we're actually going to talk a lot of things MVP. Uh, some of them are related to the larger picture at hand, too, in the disc golf world, but kind of came up at MVP. Um, but before we get into some of those finer details, uh, shout out to Gavin Babcock. He's a thousand and three rated player, so just really close to your level of play. I played with him two rounds, the first two rounds. Okay, super awesome dude, very nice. On whole, he ended up finishing sixty eighth place. Um, yeah. And but not here to talk about that. He got a one, a hole in one, an ace on hole sixteen, four hundred and seventy one foot. People say that it's arguably farther than that. But long story short, 471 foot. If you recognize the number hole 16 at Maple Hill, it's because Kevin Jones slipped, fell, got the first ever on that hole ace ever on video and went wild. Biggest ace of all time, people argued. Nick, you can't take it away from Kevin Jones, but somebody acing, just straight up acing that hole, 1,003 rated player and obviously a good player. Does it take anything away from the fact that like, wow, I guess other people can do it too. Like what's your reaction to that ace? No, I, I think any hole for the most part that's going to get aced is probably eventually going to get aced by someone else in some sort of fashion. So I don't think it takes anything away. Um, Kevin's ace was incredible. It was on film. It made disc golf go viral for a while. And I still have people send me messages of like, Hey, were you there at this moment? Like, I know this is your home course. Were you there? And so it's kind of cool. Even what a year later, uh, people still send me messages about that. And then, um, I mean, incredible shot by Gavin to be able to do it in the tournament is pretty insane. I'm curious because I saw him throw the line twice and he ended up over just off to the right side. I think he got up and down for three each round. So I'm just curious if he kind of did the same thing and just fought back and aced it. It's, it's wild. It, it is a sick ace. That's kind of my point is, yeah. Is it just literally, well, that ace is just as sick as Kevin Jones ace legit. They're both, it's an incredible ace. You, they both have this lure to them now. Like, yeah. wow. It, yeah, I mean, if you want to get down to the particulars of it, Kevin did it while it was, it was kind of raining outside. Eh, it was a little wet. Yeah, it was, it was a little wet out. I mean, you can't really get into the particulars that much. <laughs> no. You know, they were both incredible aces. One of them was filmed. One of them wasn't. And 
you just kind of go from there. Oh, Nick, thank you to the chat. The chat is coming in clutch. Nick, you were asking the hardest par threes on the Disc Golf oh. Pro Tour or or at Maple oh. Hill. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Is hole six? I don't know now. I might have lost the chat that far back, <laughs> but we we'll figure it out. Evan will. He he okay. has it tucked away. He'll text me or something. So the other thing, because Evan of Statmando is in our chat, which by the way, if you ever join our show live, you get to have fun time in the chat. Hey, people hate on us. People love on us. Whatever. It's cool. Evan's in there tonight. Um, he's saying that the highest previous cash payout per throw for Adam Hammes was at Masters Cup, and it was like $33 per $33.85 per throw. So he beat that by like $14 per throw at MVP. So good job to him. Do you remember on the stat or fiction uh, what Yuli's round was rated in Vermont? Yes, was it so he followed three? up. He followed up with yeah. this. So 1,092. Ricky okay, has 1,091. So that's what it was. It was, But I'm pretty sure when... <laughs> so you know how... Uh, official, unofficial. Rating, yeah. Official, unofficial. So I think that's what happened was Terry saw that it was an 1,100 rated round. So he went came out with a video saying Ricky shoots 1,100 rated because everyone wants to watch that. I'm pretty sure I've watched the video like five times. And then when I went and looked and said 1091, I was like, damn it. I can't, I can't prove him wrong. So <laughs> stat, well, man, no stat, man, no stat, man. <laughs> All right. They're winning in the battle of Nick versus stat, man. No, we'll, we'll have to keep track of that as well. I don't know. We're one on one now. They gave me this false Paul's made 120 grand and freaking Ledgestone. So we're, we're one on one now, I think. Excellent. All right. One other shout out to, I, I think a fan of the show it, self self uh proclaimed i believe stacy ronsley it was good meeting her in person uh she's yep. usually and i say usually she's often in the chat she's listening she drives down the road in fact stacy it was great meeting if you're listening to in the listening to this as you drive up to vermont or wherever else you're going good meeting you fun seeing you out there keep up the good work all right nick you ready we talked to adam about it we got his feedback um we've seen other players uh, in their social media follow-ups already of this event say a lot of nice things. Not everybody has, but a lot of nice, nice things about the eight holes. Let's set up the, the big picture here, if you will, of the future of disc golf. Does it include massive galleries on a hole uh, being hyped up for the sport? Like, is this going to be a part of the future or is it very specific to Maple Hill? No, I, I definitely think it's going to be a part of the future. I think it's going to go around to the more golf style of people are buying seats in certain areas, certain standing areas, certain bleachers on certain holes of tournaments. Um, I do like in disc golf right now that you can follow along with the lead card pretty closely. Uh, some courses clearly um, – have the advantage of spectator wise, let's say USDGC compared to Maple Hill. I mean, USDGC is, you know, pretty much everyone's outside the ropes, players are inside the ropes, and you can have a, a pretty large amount of spectators. Maple Hill is in a different situation to where uh, certain holes you need a VIP badge. So I think Maple Hill was kind of, I think, the pioneer of, and I could be totally wrong, I'm just saying it out of personal experience of like there were only a few years when I first started playing that I went out and watched every single hole. But there were many years that I went and just sat at hole eight, hole 14 or hole 18. And especially when I first started playing hole 18 was just the place that everyone went. 
And it was really, really cool with a couple of the players sitting up top at the Sap House. So I think Maple Hill kind of gave that great idea of let's put people in certain areas. The eight holes, I absolutely love them. I think it's great. I think it's a it's a very nice hype moment because you could be teeing off. Let's say the first round you're teeing off at 7 a.m. And there are people out there just ready to cheer you on, ready to give you the slow clap. They announce it kind of it's funny. They announce your name. You know, saying like, all right, next on the 7 a.m. tea time card is player A, B, C, and D. And then they all start cheering. And I, I, I think it's pretty awesome. But, um. So let me set you know. up. Let me set you up like this. Well, I was going to say, do you, like, you don't have to name names, but <laughs> do you read any bad reviews on it? Yeah. So let me just, so, let, let me, your reaction is great. Your thoughts are perfect. I think. I followed a card. I'll just give you my firsthand experience where we're coming up hole seven and obviously hole seven is close to hole eight for those who don't know, like it's, it should be pretty obvious, but the way it plays out, you're putting out and you're on the other side of the pond where the whole eight holes are sitting. And at hole seven, I was following the card. They're up to the basket on hole seven putting and you hear, and I don't know if this changed throughout the week, but you hear the eight holes starting to already call out like the next card to approach hole eight, which is the people putting on hole seven. So literally as let's just, I I don't remember the name of the player. Let's say it was James Conrad. Like as he's getting ready to putt on hole seven, you're hearing them cheer James Conrad. And then they start like the, like clapping and stuff like that. And, but they don't, they didn't recognize like they're putting on seven, but like it was that loud. It was like razzing the players putting on hole seven. When I when I was walking down from seven to eight, they didn't start saying anyone's name until they saw at least two of the players walking okay. down past all of eight's different tee pads. And so no one no that one changed. was playing. I'm saying it I'm saying it for when I was playing. I'm not saying it didn't happen to someone. If it did, that sucks. Sorry it happened. Um, but at the same time, like when I was going down that way, they did like because you know on Sundays I wear my white pants and I usually wear a black pullover with a blue polo and you know. They said on the 9.30 a.m. tea time or card, you know, yada, 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 and whatever. I, so they, they didn't say that until they saw one or two of us walking to whole eight steep pads. So I, I, I think, think, think some, some people, and there's stuff to say because I'm not, not one of the best players in the world. I play well locally. I sometimes do okay out on the road. So for me... I just sometimes look at that. Like if someone, maybe they got top 20 and they missed one putt on hole seven because someone started cheering on hole eight because someone had a great drive. I think you're just almost like looking for an excuse. I don't like it when people are looking for excuses. And the negative things that I have heard about the eight holes is like, oh, I was on hole 10 and could hear them all clapping for people on hole eight. I'm like, yeah, but that's like the same thing. If you teed off at, one in the afternoon and lead card tees off at 145 you're going to hear the gallery when ricky or paul or eagle or adam hits a big putt it's why is that not the same way you know nick so good good take yeah i think too many people just look for <laughs> dumb excuses there are plenty of excuses in disc golf that i think are actually great um like injury is a great excuse if you are injured you have an excuse to be playing poorly I think knowing, going into this tournament, you know that the eight holes are a thing. You know that they're going to start cheering. You know that 
if there's a if there's a card on hole eight and you're on hole seven and they're about to throw their tee shots and so you have to go ahead to throw your tee shots you should probably wait for hole eight to go so that when that person throws on hole eight you're not going to get rest on hole seven if you choose to throw at the same time as them on hole eight and they start cheering and yelling get in you know get in the hole or get in bounds you're just not smart for teeing off at that moment so like i said you know the eight holes are there you know what they do it's been a few years now since they started this i personally love it zero percent of it at all was ever distracting to me when i was playing and i birdied that hole two out of three times i screwed up hole seven but it wasn't because of the eight holes it was because i just sucked at throwing a backhand this weekend so like i don't know i, I find it kind of weird when people are like oh, the eight holes made me screw up this. I'm like, come on. No, they didn't. You screwed that up. Hey, hey, that's, that's a, that's a great, that's a great point. I just want to bring up a few points in relation to like the future of the sport. As you said, like it's growing, but it's a thing here. And that's the topic of why it came up. There are PGA events people bring up in relation to that. Katrina Allen and the presser talked about it. And so did other players. I think Paul McBeth and others saying, no, I think it's good for the sport. but. Nick, somebody like razzing somebody, like legit, as they step up the hole eight, it's quiet, and then razz somebody right in their backswing. Like, do they have the right in that situation to blame it on that? I actually think yes. Okay, yeah. But I don't know that it means you shouldn't have a gallery because that can happen in any sport. I mean, let's just take, I know it's a totally different environment, but the NFL. If you wait and everyone is quiet and then they're going to kick the field goal and you just like scream away flags like at the last second, like my takeaway and my take is that players are just going to have to get used to generally the distractions. Yeah. Now, one caveat to that one caveat. If somebody is doing that at an event and they are literally rousing the player right in their backswing, I think in the situation of golf or disc golf here, they should be kicked out of the venue if they are doing something unruly, if you will. But yeah. I still think the players are going to have to learn to play with it. Am I missing anything? I know you had a reaction. So, well, I think it's kind of tough to compare football and disc golf in the sense of, uh, let's take NBA, because I'm more you know, involved in the NBA life than I am the football life. So if someone's taking a free throw, like let's say Giannis is taking a free throw, and he takes forever, the whole opposing team's fan base is razzing him the whole time that he's lining up that free throw. So I think in disc golf, like no one's getting razzed the whole time that they're lining up a putt. And I've never personally experienced a player getting razzed by a fan, you know, out of nowhere, like last second or anything like that. I, I've never seen that happen. And I hope, I mean, do you like, did it happen this week? Is that why this is even being brought up? It did not happen. Well, I'm not aware of a situation where it was literally in a backswing razzing, but there yeah. was a situation, and I will just say it was with James Conrad, where he stepped up, it got quiet, he was literally taking that breath, you know, right before he throws, like right before, and someone goes, yeah. James Conrad, like, we love you. Like, like right in that moment, he could have reset. Yeah. He could have reset. But I'm just saying, like, those moments, I'm not blaming all eight holes for, for a bad experience. Like, I don't think they, I think things got better. I think the situation I brought up in the beginning where I said they were putting on hole seven, I think they literally probably learned like right away because that was the first round. They're like, yeah, we need yeah. to wait. So like, I think yeah. they're great people. 
I think they add energy. Yeah. I think it's just the topic for the show, like what's the future of it. I think it's an incredible thing that's happening at Maple Hill. Yeah, and they're going to learn year in and year out what they can do that's, let's say, a more professional way of being in the gallery. They're going to learn that year in and year out. But I'll say this, there was, and this is going to happen at every single event, especially with top players in the world, is like there was a kid who was following, I think it was hole 14, and Ricky was walking up some, I think, Someone else was, Calvin was putting out of the woods, so Ricky was walking up to his putt. Before he even got to it, some kid was like, I love you, Rick. Or like, Rick, you're the best, or something like that. And so everyone just started like laughing. And it was like, kind of that awkward moment to where it was like, you should probably wait to say that until after he hits the putt, or something like that. But Ricky just stepped back for a second, reset, went up to his lie, and jammed a 35-footer on hole 14. So if you're in your warm-up, your pre-shot routine and someone says something or does something like it happens to me, even just in casual events to where like, I don't mind noise going on. I don't mind conversation going on as long as it's constant. I don't mind people walking around when I'm putting during casual rounds or even tournament rounds. Sometimes like it, it doesn't bother me. It's when it's something that's just very sudden. Like if someone comes out of the corner of my eye very suddenly, or if everyone's dead quiet and like I'm about to putt and someone sneezes, like they're not purposely trying to razz me. But I'll, I'll take a second. I'll reset from that. But to be honest, if like that shouldn't be the all-determining factor of why you messed up something. That that to me, that's just another excuse. If you know, if you reset, you took your time. Everyone's gonna understand. Like you could take another twenty seconds after that happens, and no one's gonna call you on a shot or like time clock violation or whatever because they know oh someone just sneezed while he was lining up a putt. He reset. Like, no one's going to call you on a time clock violation or whatever. So, I don't know. I think if you're blaming stuff on that, it's, it's just slightly it sounds like excuses. I don't know. Like, I, I think it's different for me because I'm not a top player in the world. And But I've played a lot of big tournaments, and I've, you know, I've played in front of somewhat decent-sized crowds, and I love it. I, the energy of people following along a card is very fun. But with that, there is always going to be people may think they're whispering, but they're not. You can hear them. And it's just going through the motions of like, you know what, what they're doing should not distract me at all from the shot that I have to hit right now. So I think when people are playing poorly, they look for a lot of different things to make excuses about. I've done it. I will continue to do it probably throughout my whole disc golf career. Um, I try not to make a habit of it, but there's always going to be something that I'll probably blame why I messed up. But at the same time, you kind of sit down from the outside. It's different, though, because I'm not a top player in the world. If I was a top player in the world, I'd probably – I don't know. It's tough because when you watch the crowds, like for Paul's crowd and for Ricky's crowd and for the lead crowd at Maple Hill, like there's going to be distractions throughout the whole crowd of people. So I, I don't know. You can't, you can't fully blame an eight-hole on screwing up your shot. Hole eight's tee shot is really hard. Putting on hole eight is usually pretty hard. It's, yeah, it's it's not the spectator's fault. I'll just say that. Yeah, it's, More inter often than yeah, it's interesting. I observed a player, you know, asking other players multiple times during the round, hey, can you please be quiet? Like a player looking off as they get on the tee pad to the, that, like, here's the thing. They can do that. They have the right to do that. They should ask for that if they think their mental game isn't able to handle it. Yeah. But... 
it's just it's going to be part of this the the sport i saw eagle in the i think it was the final round three i think maybe it was round two i don't remember now but he looked back to a photographer who had the sound of the shutter for their camera on and it wasn't even when eagle was throwing it was when another player was throwing and you could tell eagle was thinking about it like it's going to happen when i go to throw so he turns around and says can you put that on silent shutter please um but what is what is okay now i've seen this happen way too many times i was playing an event in richmond with brian schweberger and i was first to tee i teed heard the shutter of the camera like i said it it didn't bother me it was you know whatever but schwebby was like if that's gonna be all day he's like i don't want any pictures taken of me so you're a photographer or you used to be like why don't people always have it on silent shutter well First of all, every camera that is an SLR, meaning it actually has a mechanical movement inside, that's what you're hearing. Bop, 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 bop. Okay. Not every camera allows you to shut that off. The nicer cameras do allow you to shut that off for situations like when you need to be quiet or sneak a photo, but not every camera does. And the other answer is lack of experience at sporting venues, especially when you're up close like this. So throw a zoom lens on there, stand farther away, then your shutter's not going to distract the player. It does happen. Again, lack of experience and not every camera can do it. Um, that should be, though, it should be interesting. That could be a part of the form that gets signed by media when they come on, like, hey, you will use a silent shutter or, or you'll yep. be generally far away if you don't. Exactly, in a different spot. I remember there's a video coverage of Calvin, and I think James Conrad was on the car too, it was just more of like a localish tournament, nothing major, but there was a new photographer out there who was taking pictures, I think, for like the town newspaper. And Calvin was putting from only like 10 or 15 feet. But all of a sudden, when he was coming up with this putt, like literally about to release it, all you hear is click, 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 click. And he completely shanks the putt like straight into the ground. And he was like, yeah, no, that that's done. Like, no, get out of here. And it was... I think Ian Anderson is doing commentary on it too and talks like he had to actually talk to the person who was taking the pictures. So. Someone in the chat brings up a great point. So I want to hit it real quick is, you know, when you're making your living off of this, there's a different pressure to it. And so those moments with distractions, you want any advantage you can. And if that to you is a distraction, then it's a big deal. And that's obviously a lot of these players who are top, let's just say top 20 at this point, like, Hey, could you please not do that? Because I, this is my livelihood. That's number one. The other side of it is now just for the fun people, this is not to make the point that we've just been talking about, but in the chat, go ahead and let me know. Do you mind if people are talking, people are laughing, people are crunching chips or opening bags of candy or whatever it is um, while you're getting ready to throw, or do you ask for people to stay quiet? Like, please, you you know, you readjust, you ask them to be quiet. I'm going to tee. And this is for those players who are not making it their livelihood. So I will give you my answer. And Nick, you're not, you're going to try to make it your livelihood, but like right now it's not for me. I'll answer for me. I don't mind any noise at all. As long, as long as it's not quiet, like there's two situations where it's it's noisy, noisy, noisy. And then, yeah, it's noisy, noisy, noisy. And then I go to throw and like, it gets quiet, like right in my backswing. It's the opposite. It's like, hush. Yeah. Or, yeah. or if they're like quiet, 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 and then they start talking like immediately in my backswing. I generally mm-hmm. don't care if there's distractions constantly. I'm able to play through that. I'm an amateur. For me, it's not a big deal. 
how do you feel about distractions? You said you didn't mind camera shutter noise. No, I mean, I so like that because that's that's sudden. That's different because most camera people are taking action shots of when you're throwing, and so that one comes up sudden. Um, I don't think I knew it was going to happen, so I think that was a little bit different. When Schwebby was throwing second, he knew that that was going to happen, so that already played into his head a little bit. So that's why he was like, "Hey, no pictures." Um, for me, I think, like I said earlier, I don't like silence and then like a dog bark in the background right when i'm in my backswing or right when i'm putting but if there's dogs barking or people talking or a train horn going off or something like that and it's constant i don't mind it i'll i'll put through that i'll drive through that because i know the noise is there that's just one other element that okay that's there and i just have to put that in the back seat really quick and i gotta put that over there um so I don't know. I think it comes from being a pretty big casual player into playing some big events and locally doing decently well at local events to where every tournament's different. Your card mates are always going to be different. Um, uh, B tier that I won this year, I made sure that I distanced myself from the card because I was really, really just wanting to like focus on only me. And so I barely had conversation with my card mates until I felt like I was in a spot to where, okay, I'm playing well. I'm ready to kind of like let loose a little bit. Like I wanted to see what it would be like if I just straight up was like, you know, not, not rude. You know, I would have slight casual conversation, but I wanted to see what it would be like if I really just took it beyond seriously of like, I'm not going to talk to my car base. But then the second round we joked and laughed and, you know, had a good time. So it's weird. It all depends on the tournament, I guess. But generally speaking, I don't mind conversation. I don't mind noises if they're constant. I don't like sudden stuff. Um, but I also know that if like if I'm expecting something, you know, when I'm out at Maple Hill playing the MVP Open, I'm expecting every so often for the eight holes to go berserk about something. And I know that going from, you know, hole one through ten, that that is going to be a noise that's going to happen. Hole eleven through fifteen, I know that I'm going to hear people from hole eight, and I'm going to hear people from hole fourteen. It's just something that, like, you know it's going to happen. I mean, if you hear one cheer, you usually get about 15 or 20 seconds before you hear another one. And that's kind of, you know, how I'll end that. All right. I don't mean to give content to the bogey bros or anybody else, but, man, it would be funny to do, like, a punked version of, like, disc golf round where you run up with, like, the air horn right in someone's backswing. You pop out from behind a bush, like, right as someone goes to throw. Obviously not in a real situation, but, like, it could be funny content. The other thing someone said in the chat, funny, they're like, just don't make me laugh, like, right before I'm throwing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I hate it because I lose all of my energy when I start laughing, so... (laughs) Yeah, that that's when I'll actually have to like take a second and recoup my thoughts. But for me, I'll just rethink about what that person just said and start laughing again. <laughs> so where if you make me laugh before a tee shot, I'm, I'm screwed. It's going to be. I'm not going to throw it anywhere. It's 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 done. And then the follow up to that is I don't want to hear people laughing after I throw either, because obviously that's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I think if it's my friends laughing at my throw, I don't care. I, I don't think I've ever had someone who I didn't know <laughs> laugh at my throw. At least, I not that I heard. There were plenty of, like, I don't know. I was playing with Paul earlier. We were just running through a couple holes here at Fox Run. And if I throw a bad shot, he's like, oh, my God, or something like that. Like, he's, 
he's a savage about it sometimes to where he just, he doesn't have any filter. If you throw a bad shot, he'll let you know. So you kind of have to get used to that to where if, if I can be embarrassing around him and around Hannah and around other, you know, these top professionals that I've had the pleasure of playing casual rounds with, I, I can be embarrassed in front of anyone at this point. I don't know. I felt, I felt bad when I threw a bad shot. My dad was caddying for me. Shout out to my dad, my mom, my sister. They came out my last round at MVP Open. And so my dad was caddying for me for like the first 11 holes. And then my sister took the bag for a couple holes. It was, it was awesome. But like I threw a shot on hole 14 that just went straight up in the air, hit the, one of the branches and had zero chance of going in the water. And that was more embarrassing than throwing a bad shot in front of just a group of disc golfers. It was like, hey, mom, this is what I love doing. And this is what I try to do. But watch me suck at it this weekend. So I don't know. That was more embarrassing. Um, yeah. So again, I'm an amateur level. It's not a big deal to me. I I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm a competitor. I love competing and like, I hate any disadvantages and I, but to your point earlier, there are few and far between situations where you really have the right to blame somebody else. I mean, if they're coming over and hitting you in the leg with something as you're throwing, then cool. Like that's legit. But yeah. otherwise I think my take on it is, yeah, we're going to just have to get used to generally distractions. Most major sporting events have distractions. Again, unruly people should get taken care of, however that works, but you still got to get used to it. All right, um, Nick, let's move into um, a topic here on, and I don't know how much you actually got to do this, um, but is tailgating. Did you see the tailgating zone, if you will, at the MVP Open? And for the chat, have you ever had tailgating, like legitimate, not like in the parking lot, like tailgating at the course on a fairway for a disc golf event? Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. Like, it wasn't like in the middle of Hole 18's <laughs> fairway. Yeah, it was off to the left-hand side, which is an out-of-bounds area, has been for years. Um, dude, I thought it was awesome. Um, they had a bunch of signs. Uh, Jeremy from Capital Discs was out there. He was, you know, cheering a bunch of people on. He's, you know, said hi to me. He cooked me up some food actually after the last round, which was super sweet. Um, family friend of ours named Jason. He was out there and he made me this funny sign that said Nick Carl, and then obviously was on the second one. So that that made me laugh the last round. Uh, Sunstein was out there as well. Steve from Sunstein was, you know, had some appetizers, food, and everything like that. So after the round, going over there and hanging out. Uh, it was actually a pretty sweet time. I, I like, that's what I've really always liked about Maple Hill, was that after your round, whether you played well or if you played bad, there's a fun time to be had afterwards. There's a great beer company vending food, a bunch of the locals here in Mass, or excuse me, beer company uh, vending beer. Uh, there's a bunch of people cooking up food right over, you know, going towards whole one's tea pad. And there's just so many fun things to do afterwards. The camaraderie and the hangout of it all is great. And I think the tailgating actually added a whole different vibe to it. I think the vibe was awesome. Uh, they had grills. Like I said, they, they cooked up some, it was like pork tenderloins and then some sirloin. It was sweet, dude. It was awesome. Yeah. And you would see like notable players being invited to these tailgate sections, which I will throw out the number. I think I heard it's is unofficial, but it was, I think it was like $1,500 for one of these sections to be able to tailgate. You would get eight VIP tickets that you could give out to um, people that you wanted to walk. They could walk around the whole event anywhere they wanted to as a VIP. But my understanding is the tailgaters, 
you could invite anybody to your tailgate section. They could stay at your tailgate section. I don't know if there's a number limit on that, if you could bring 50 people, but they could stay yeah. at your tailgate section. And the food that was getting cooked up, a shout out to a guy named Craig. He's uh, local to Massachusetts, but this was my first time meeting him. He's got a YouTube channel. I think it's called BBQ It, as in barbecue it. The dude was smoking ribs all weekend and like just chill hanging out. I thought it was tremendous. Great way for the venue to get more income to be able to distribute to make the event better. Very yep. cool. Again, I was just curious if anybody else had ever done that before. I had not seen it. It was sweet. It was a very, very fun time. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And I think that's what Maple Hill complete, uh, the MVP Open continues to improve on is adding these different things to make the event that much better for not just the players, but for the spectators and the volunteer staff and everything like that. It's, it's incredible seeing where it was eight years ago, which I think was my first time, no, nine years ago. In 2012 was my first time going to it. I think I watched Kale win. And then I watched Paul win. I watched Ricky lose. Like, I mean, it, I, yeah. It's, a, it's awesome to see where it is now compared to what it, what it was back then. Totally. All right, Nick, we're moving into a topic that has received great. Wow, I said that really crazy. Great controversy. You ready? Dun, 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 dun. Let me get a little heartbeat in here. Okay, Nick, the people want to know, is surfing wax legit? Is it in your bag? Did it help your game out? No. <laughs> um, I, I did like I did like the surfing the surfing wax. My favorite, my favorite one of those was the uh, Pelican Grip, though. And I actually do want to experience with it a little bit more. And it feels really weird to say that because I feel like it's something that's super controversial. But at the same time, it's not because it's not illegal in the sport of like in the PDGA. It's not illegal. So I'm genuinely curious. I, I think I actually might test it out in the offseason. Um, a couple different brands of it or uh, a couple different styles of the Pelican Grip. And yeah, I don't know. Like it just it felt felt cool. I don't know if I just threw it harder or if I actually felt like I had more grip on the disc. I definitely have more grip on the disc. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But um, I'm curious mostly on how it's going to be for putting. So that's what I'm kind of like nervous on, you know what I mean? Or how it is in the rain. I think next time I use Pelican Grip, I'm going to try it out in the rain down in Virginia just for fun. Yeah, and just real quick, I could elaborate it on you can, but it was on Paul Macbeth's YouTube channel. You collaborated with him or you were invited, yeah. however you want to say it. Just just tell people real quick what the storyline for that video was. They can go check it out, but that's what we're talking about. So Paul had this idea of like, because Paul's super into baseball and he was a baseball player growing up, has some friends that are in the MLB. And you can see the huge storyline. One of the big storylines this year in the MLB is they've been checking players for pine tar and sticky stuff of helping out pitchers create more spin, velocity and everything like that on their uh, pitching. So, Paul had the funny idea of where the PDGA does not have any of these items listed as you can't use them. So let's make a fun, controversial video of do any of these things actually help out in disc golf? And so that's where the idea came from. So there was five different types of 
sticky substances. There was a rosin, surfers wax, pelican grip, spider grip. And then there was one other one in a white tube. I can't remember the name of it. But um, Tiger something I, or Tiger something maybe? I don't remember. Yeah, it might, it might have been Tiger something. I, I forget because I didn't like that one. Uh, the rosin sucked. What's funny about the rosin is the rosin was actually the best for getting off the other grip. Like, <laughs> in order to get the sticky stuff off, if you actually use the rosin, it worked magically. It was, it was great. And it was a really struggle. Like, one of my discs that I used in that video is still completely covered in just crap because of it. Um, especially this spider stuff was disgustingly sticky. But uh, the surface wax was good. Um, it was actually a lot stickier than I thought it would be. But the Pelican was like that very happy medium to where I didn't feel like I was going to grip lock the disc. So I actually felt like I had control over it. And I actually do feel like, like you can hear Paul saying in the video, did you hear that come out of his hand? Or like, did you hear that? And to where it was like, oh, maybe this actually does kind of help out. But um, I don't know. I'm not going to try it until the off season where I'll actually give it a go. Yeah, I overheard or I was talking with Paul. One of the conversations that came up at MVP was he said something along the lines of like fans were already asking him, like, do you have some of that in your bag right now? And he kind of laughed. He's like, no, of course I don't. But the way the video is played out, it seems to expose, I'm doing quotes here, expose like uh, loopholes in the PDGA where it's like, well, we can gain advantages that nobody else is thinking of. But Paul, I feel like Paul has done this before with something else in his career. I wish I could go back and remember it. If you remember it and you're listening, send us a message. But where it was like, he started doing something. And then like the next year, the PDGA like made a rule. It was like, no, that can't be done. I, maybe I'm making I, it up. Ask him. He's literally like right out there. <laughs> I'm going to ask him. Really no, quick. he won't. He won't remember. Either. Well, maybe he will. Okay. Let me, I'll, but, I'll text him. Put it up on your screen. Be like, be like, yo, have you ever done anything controversial that the PDGA made a rule about? That's probably the easiest way to say it. Um, so I thought generally the video is very funny, Nick, and it's cool that you're able to do videos with Paul Macbeth. Hannah filming, that's a good time down there in Virginia. Uh, I thought it was int interesting and intriguing. And I think what you said, like the disc is going to get the buildup of grip on it and you're going to be like, oh, this disc now is just coded and then it's going to be altered. And that's actually illegal to alter you know, with a texture or anything on your disc. So I don't know that it's actually a, a great thing, but I think it's interesting and nobody else had done that that I'm aware of and I was intrigued. Yeah. I, I think it was, it was cool. A, it was a super fun, fun video, uh, excuse me, a super fun video to make. <laughs> and, um, sorry, I just got a text back and it made me laugh. But um, <laughs> it was a super fun video to make. Hannah does an incredible job editing it and making it fun for viewers to watch and everything like that. But we literally picked a day where it was like a hundred degrees. It was disgustingly hot and I'm not someone who sweats a ton and I was dripping sweat and it was literally the perfect day to do this, to do this video of sticky substances to see if they would actually help out. And, uh, the first one that I actually felt like did help out was the surfers wax. And then when I got the Pelican grip, that one was actually pretty fire. That was good. Yeah, the chat brings up a quick question of like, well, what about like putting, you know, uh, dry powder on your disc to dry it off? Is that altering, you know, the texture of the disc? I forget how the PDGA words it, but it has something to do with um, the idea that it's percept, like you can perceive the difference or it, it literally alters the, like, so if you do a Sharpie on a disc is my point, I'm getting the words out. 
you do a Sharpie on a disc, that does technically, scientifically, at a microbial level or however you want to say that. Yes, it does, but like that's not what they're talking about. So I don't think powder on a disc would do that. But if you started no. building up like a pine tar, like regularly on the disc, like it, that would eventually alter the disc. Um, but the thing, it, is, the thing is that if you were to use the Pelican Grip or a pine tar or something like that, you wouldn't coat the disc in it. You would use your hand and use a stupidly small amount, or you would put it on a towel, or like pitchers will, you know, back in the day, they would put it on their hat or put it inside their glove to where they're only getting like a very minuscule amount of it. And it's just to help them out for that one throw. And so you're constantly doing that to where it's not really building up on the disc itself. At least I don't think so. I, I haven't tried it for more than one day. The only reason that anything got built up, there's a pink Zeus that I friggin' screwed over, uh, turned over right into the woods. Um, the only reason that has a ton of crap on it is because one, I haven't cleaned it off. And two, because we went back to back to back to back to back of using these substances with hardly any way of cleaning them off our hands. And so it was like, oh, I went from this really sticky stuff called the Pelican Grip, and let me just use that on my disc, and I kind of move my hand around before I throw it, and then it's like, oh, let me use the spider stuff, which is stupidly sticky. And for the video, I was using probably a little bit more than I should have, but that's, <laughs> that's the fun part about the video. I think I texted you, if, if you can confirm. Yeah. I was yeah. like, bro, I'm watching your video right now, and I'm like, it's making me laugh. Yeah. Dude, it was it was fun. I love doing videos with them. It's a it's a very fun time. The commercial we did for Celsius at the beginning was just funny, and people were getting a kick out of it, even with horrible acting. <laughs> I know. I, yeah, I know it's with Paul down there. You're gonna get a lot more attention. You'll get a lot more attention than doing the Nick and Matt show. But man, if you were still back up here, man, we could be going crazy with videos too. So it will still happen. It will happen. Um, all right. I have generally something that's probably not surprising, but just to start the topic, because, Nick, at the MVP Open, I will say that is the most amount of fans that I have ever met from, from our show, ever. It was, I want to send all the love out to, to those fans because you were there and you took the time to say, hey, Matt, or hey, Nick. In fact, Nick, one time I was walking down one of the holes and someone said, yeah, Nick. And I'm like, I wave and they're like, their buddy like elbows. I'm like, that's Matt dummy. <laughs> like, but the okay. amount of love that came our way in just regards yeah. to fans who appreciate the show. There's one guy who told me I fall asleep listening to your show. And I'm like, is that a good thing? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. You have to listen to me and Matt. So hey, if it works, if it makes you fall asleep, that's great. So I mean, we come out with our episodes almost every single week. So this is perfect. So lullaby and good night <laughs> so he's falling asleep now yeah. um but they fall asleep or they drive hours a day uh, commuting to work or they drive 10 minutes a day and they say our show lasts them all week but like the amount of love was just so 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 cool to yeah. know that when we talk into these microphones there are people on the other end who are actually appreciating this it seems to be that people who usually, you know, have hot topics or want to do hot takes will be the ones to comment. But all the people who are sitting there listening that enjoy the show, it means a million when you guys go out of your way to let us know that you like the show or you support the show or whatever it is. Even if you make fun of it in person and it was all in good fun, like someone looked out and they're like, judge that disc offer. <laughs> like, and I'm like, get over yeah. here. I'll judge you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, no, I had a bunch of people. I, I remember I was walking with Paul's car for a little bit, and then I had to walk up to um, the 
the hangout area by 18 to grab something. And I was walking by the pretty big crowd of people that were walking and a ton of people were like, yo, what up, Nicole? What up, Nicole? And then, so I'd say hi to everyone. And then uh, a bunch of people were just like, dude, love your show. It's incredible. It's my favorite show out there. It's so great. It's so awesome. And it's super appreciative because like, I'll say this and we've said it a hundred times probably at this point, we kind of looked at this as like, Hey, let's just give it a go. You know, let's try to create this fun show. And, you know, Matt, you're obviously the main reason that the effects of this show get created. You produce the show, you do all the media stuff for the show. I just try to get guests on every so often. And, um, it's really cool to see people actually appreciate it. Um, cause it doesn't seem like it's a lot of work, but at least Matt, puts in a stupid amount of hours into giving people a fun show. And it's very fun to co-host as well. It's very fun. All right. We're not announcing like our departure. And we're like, it was good knowing and, everybody. And, I'm <laughs> Peace out. Nick goes, actually, I'm going to surprise you live on air, Matt. Peace out. This is the last one. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah. This is the, yeah. This is the Josh and Matt show now. So. Um, a few other topics let's see where we get to with this and it was um i feel like i feel like if you just kind of put on your like future hat and you try to feel what's happening out there in the disc golf world you might start to get this feeling and i feel like i started getting this feeling earlier this year where i said on the show somewhere I think the NT is probably going away at some point here in the near future. That was one of my takes. I still stand by. In fact, I feel like I'm hearing enough. And and believe me, I'm not actually hearing any inside scoops, but I'm putting the puzzle pieces together with conversations that I hear with social media stuff that I'm seeing. A lot of things feel like it's coming together where I'm like, if I had to roll the dice, I'm still standing confident with that, that it's going to be sooner than later. And if I had to make a pick, it's next year. But everybody, I'm speculating. Now, with that speculation in mind, Nick, here's the topic. If this happens, it may not happen. If it happens, what NT events would get swallowed up by the Disc Golf Pro Tour? And maybe which ones wouldn't? Uh, And they would just kind of... The events might stay, but they wouldn't be on the Elite Series level. Do you have any idea? I can give you a list of the events so you can decide. Uh, Texas, uh, Texas States, Dynamic Disc Open, Master. That'll stay. Okay, yeah, let's react to it that way. So, uh, Texas State, what do you think? States, I don't think we'll stay. Okay, I if this happens. Yep. Okay, if this happens. Oh, did you say it might be a Silver Series? Yeah, so I, I'm just, yeah, I'm going to say whether it stays, goes to a Silver Series, or jumps up to a Pro Tour. But I think, I think at best, that one would be a Silver Series. It didn't seem like it was, I have to remember, um, that's the tournament case he was doing really well, yes. at, correct? Yes. It didn't seem like it was an incredible course. I didn't look at it as one that I necessarily want to go play. I'd have to rewatch the coverage, but I'm going to say Silver Series for that one. If it gets wrapped in. Okay. Yeah, I like that you added in, well, maybe it would become a silver series. I actually hadn't thought of that. And for everyone who's listening, you're getting the general reactions yourself the same way Nick is. Nick did not go through this segment with me. And this is also something that we have no idea is going to happen. So I don't want anyone clickbaiting some stupid article saying, oh, Nick and Macho release hot topic of Disc Golf Pro Tour taking the national tour. We have no idea. Yeah, they there can- are pros 
There are pros who would like that. If you listen to the Disc Golf Network press conference, there is a very, very well-known pro who says the pro tour just, or the national tour just needs to let go and let the pro tour take over. I'm not going to say who. Well, go watch it. it's, it's public in the press conference, Paige Pierce. And she actually, interestingly well, enough, interestingly enough, I feel like this was the first time I had heard her say she was like, I, th- I don't think I'm taking it fully out of context. She said silent, like protest, if you will. She was kind of saying like, that's how you could describe her not playing in tees. Anyways, it's things like that that I'm hearing. And she's a big voice and just generally other things that I'm just piecing and I'm trying to speculate. That's what we do. Or that's what I do. Uh, so um, you said Texas state, let's talk about dynamic disc open. Would that stay? DDO will go right back to a pro tour. I think that events, from what it seems like, is an incredible event. I don't care for the courses at all, but um, I think that'll go to a pro tour. Okay, next up would be Masters Cup at De La. I think that'll go to a Silver Series. And the reason I say that is because at Silver Series, they don't do live coverage except for the final day. Um, and because of all the technical issues that happen at De La, I think that'll... That'll go down to a Silver Series, unless they can somehow figure out the parking situation out there and everything like that. I can't imagine that's going to be an Elite Series event next year. Okay, um, Beaver State Fling. I've never been up there. I've heard amazing things. What do you think? I don't even think that event is going to happen next year from what I've kind of been hearing. So I have no idea. Do I need the breaking news for that now? What What do you know? I mean, I, I just hear kind of like word of mouth that Oregon's being super stingy about a bunch of crap. And then at the same time, whatever Parks and Rec Department is up there, uh, the place is kind of over, overgrown and everything like that. And they, if a tournament was to happen there, I'm sure they would fix everything up super duper quickly and everything like that. Uh, I have no doubt about it. But it kind of seems like that might not because we're going on two years now that that event didn't happen, right? Yeah, that's so it. I mean, to be honest. To be honest, I wouldn't even be surprised if it didn't happen for a third year. Let's say COVID gets the American Airlines variant of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, That's, <laughs> I, I'm reacting to it because in my head, I, I know so many players who say that is a dream course, like amazing, like their favorite in the world. Like, so that's, that's kind of weird to hear that. But if it's out of their hands, it's out of their hands. All right, uh, Delaware Disc Golf Challenge. We just saw it. Um, that very wooded course. What do you think? I think that'll go to a Silver Series, or I don't know. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't see that one. I don't see that one being a massive event every single year. Maybe okay. though. Maybe. Okay, and honestly, there aren't as many as the Disc Golf Pro Tour events, anyways. But here's the final one. And I've known this event for a long time. I've never been down there. I don't even know if I fully, I've probably watched some coverage, but Music City Open in Nashville, Tennessee. That's coming up actually in a few weeks. Yeah, I have no idea about that one. I don't know anything about how the course is. I don't know anything about how the venue is. So I'll re-answer this question in like three weeks. Okay. And then, and then just to wrap this up, because we're on the topic do you think there are any disc golf pro tour events? We haven't even made it to the end of the season yet, but any disc golf pro tour events that happened this year that just it's based off of your preference, like your opinion. I'm not saying make you're making a call on what should be removed, but like 
that yeah. may not be back next year. Was there anything that stood out to you? For uh, the venue that they played Portland Open at, that might change. Um, I have to think of the pro tours now. Yeah, Vegas. Um, How about it sucks because it's the kickoff tournament of the year, but I hate the fact that it's three courses. I, I would love it. That tournament would be very fun if we only had to learn, not not learn, but. If we only had to play the uh, Innova Factory Store course and the Innova course out there, I don't care for the Infinite course. Let whoever else play that one. Um, I don't. I don't think three courses is good. I like two courses for events. I really do. Um, I'm literally sitting at my favorite event of the year, and the courses are both right next to each other, and I love it. It's my favorite disc golf complex out there. Um, but yeah, three courses is just a little too much. So. Vegas would be weird. It'll be back next year, though. I can't imagine it wouldn't be. Uh, so I don't know. I have to think of them all. Like, because they, like a bunch of these Pro Tour events are so established now. Like Waco isn't, you know, a lot of courses that we play throughout the year, a lot of courses that the pros play throughout the year is, you know, a majority of bomber courses. You can have a big arm to go there. Waco is one of the few courses that you don't need 500 feet of power. You know, you can kind of get away with just being a silky smooth player in the woods. Um, I think we've seen that just in years past. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, it'd be really hard to tell what's going to get bumped and what's not going to get bumped. If I do it's a quick review of the Disc Golf Pro Tour events, nothing stands out to me. You, you made some good points. I think those would be the only ones, Des Moines being new this year. But I think we have to quickly I, add, are there— ran like i heard des moines was an incredible event okay i think we need to ask would there be any events that are missing that could be added and i would immediately go to once europe's back open there's going to be european uh tour events on the disc golf pro tour uh they've already had them planned so i mean we can expect to see those um if the nt again full speculation this is not clickbait this is not us with inside scoop i'm doing what anybody else could do just feeling out what i hear and what i see if it happens which NT events might get brought over. We talked about that. I, I I think it's doing a good job. I like the Disc Golf Pro Tour selection process. The Silver Series is where they enter. They see yeah. how they run them and then turn them into something. So, I really wish Hall of Fame Classic would come back, the tournament down in Georgia at IDGC. I, I love that course. I think it's incredibly fun to play. I would love that event back. What about if they swapped out, and this is, again, my perspective, the Disc Golf Pro Tour finale I personally just don't have the feels of, oh, I love it at Hornet's Nest. That's just how I feel. I have not played there. The players, I haven't heard complaining about it. Maybe you have. But I think something like the Disc Golf, uh, International Disc Golf Center or wherever, like there's probably another venue that I'd like to see it at, the finale. What do you think about that? I agree. There's a venue right in New London, Virginia that just – had this awesome, spectacular course built on it that I think that would be great for the Pro Tour Championships, and I have heard other people say the same thing. Um, I don't know. I I can't remember the last time that I watched coverage of Hornet's Nest. So I I played Hornet's Nest back in 2017, and uh, I remember it was fun. It was kind of cool to go see where Paul won his first Worlds for that final nine, uh, which a ton of the holes I'm pretty sure have changed now. But... I don't know. I loved it when it was up here in Vermont. I mean, 
I, I obsess over this place. So I would love every single event to be here. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I would love it. I think the same thing should be potentially said about Worlds, though. Um, I, I would love it if Worlds was in the same place like two years in a row and then go to the next one and then go to the next one or something like that. I think that'd be kind of cool. But it's weird. Those are some good takes, Nick. You're bringing all the inside scoops. No, you're bringing your opinion. That's great. Yeah. Um, all right. As we get very close to wrapping up here, as we usually do, I thought we'd provide you some interesting stats provided by Statmando. And I wanted to talk just a little bit about our partners at Statmando and what they were doing at the MVP Open this weekend at the tournament. They had their team. They created some apps, internal apps for them to use uh, to track literally every throw and not just, hey, how did the hole play out? Not did they land off the fairway? Did they land in circle one? Not just that. They tracked the speed of the throws off the tee pad for a throw and then what the player did for that throw. Did they throw backhand? Did they throw forehand? Did they throw lefty? Did they throw righty? Did they throw righty forehand or lefty for like they tracked everything about the throw and then where it specifically landed on the fairway or off the fairway in this app again, uh, graphed out so that they could literally show if you land in this portion of the fairway at this point, here's how many players did exactly that. And, and you ever see um, Nick during the, like a basketball game during like halftime, they'll show you where all the shots happen from. Yeah. 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 And it's like a game of Candyland. I mean, there's just shots everywhere, yeah. but you can start to see little pockets, right? And you can say, oh, from here is where the three-pointers happen or from here, whatever. Yep. And they're doing that. And I already got a quick look and I don't know when they're going to roll it out. I'm going to work with them on some graphics. But they can show you on certain holes, like here's how it plays out. The percentage of birdies, if you throw backhand, is way higher than forehand. Um, if you land on this portion of the fairway, this is the only place people get birdies from. So if you're over here, you probably shouldn't even go for it. I mean, the way the stats are going to play out, it's going to change the game. That's my opinion. Yep. So let me give you some of these stats uh, just to give you an inside scoop into how it looked. In round one on hole eight, the one over the water, people are probably familiar with it at this point. 82% of the MPO through righty backhand. That's like so many of the players. Righty backhand. But 53%, more than half, went out of bounds. Now, you could stop and say, well, is that a bad hole then? Like, if that's how it is. But. It's just a hard hole. Okay. It's just a hard hole. So, if you look at it this way, 11% of the MPO, that's a very small percent, right? Through a righty forehand. Nick, you did that, right? I did all three rounds. Okay, this shows here only 37% went OB. So a 12%, 13% less people went out of bounds throwing forehand. And we can look at the birdie percentage here too. Um, well, let me call this out first. 7% of MPO threw a lefty backhand. So lefty backhand, 50% went OB. So it seems to be, that's interesting because forehands, didn't go as much, but lefty backhands did. I think you could speculate on the quality of the player throwing lefty. I don't know. <laughs> but Maybe, yeah. But here's how it played out. Ready? Off of those throw selections. Round one, hole eight, 
birdies by throw and type. So if you threw righty backhand, 32% of those players birdied the hole. If you threw righty forehand, which is what you did, 11% more birdies, 43% birdied. So Nick, you somehow, I don't talk me through it. You chose that that was the higher percentage play. What went through your head more than the 80% of players who threw it backhand and didn't do as well? Um, in practice, it was my first time seeing the new hole this year was in a practice round. And I remember I threw my onyx and I threw it like 50 feet short. Granted, the wind was not really in my favor, but I felt like I actually threw it decently well. So then I threw another shot and then I threw it like 30 feet short. And I was like, okay, I'm struggling on this hole and that's not a good sign. That's going to suck for this weekend because I'm pretty sure last year I played that hole over par when it was actually an easier pad. Um, and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to just blast a forehand nuke. And so my first shot with it, I kind of knifed it over an ESP nuke. And I went like long left, but I easily cleared the water to where I was like, oh, I just have to throw that flat instead of turned over. And I feel like I can get to the basket. So then the first round, had a bit of a headwind. I threw my Zeus flat. It turned over a little bit, came out. It kind of lifted, though. So I was just barely – I was in bounds by an okay amount. I was on the wall on the right-hand side. I missed my putt. But then the second round, I threw kind of the same, only a little bit lower, and ended up just inside circle one. I think I was on the feathers, and I made the putt, which was super great. And then the last round, I was like, okay, I keep throwing the shot bad. It's working out, but I keep throwing it bad. So then the last round, I was like, you know what? I'm going to aim my body just a little bit more to the left. I'm going to throw my disc just dead flat. I'm going to let it flip up just a little bit, but I want it to go to the left of the tree by the basket and then fade in from there. And I ended up putting it to like seven feet or something like that. So for me on that hole, the birdie percentage was way – it was 100% higher than it would have been had I backhanded every round. And it's just – that's also – that's also sometimes like, you know, this week my backhand did not feel good. And I realized that to where I was like, you know what? On holes that I can throw a forehand, I need to try to take advantage of that. And so, yeah, that's what I did. Yeah. So I, but I, yeah. So I'm saying shout out to you because somehow your intuition, maybe because you said you didn't feel as strong with the other, but like it literally played out stronger as percentages yeah. go. The higher percentage birdie was righty forehand. As you yeah. said, Two of your three rounds getting the deuce, the other one getting the par. That's pretty good. So, um, again, I think they're changing the or they're going to change the game. They're on their way to changing the games. We partnered with them. Uh, can we get this stat? I think we partnered with them yeah. first. When was our first? When was our first week of stat, Mando? <laughs> before, well, not before they were officially doing something, but I think we were the yeah. first partner with them. Um, so here, one more thing, because I told you they were doing speed tracking. They're also doing this. Uh, I don't see it here for. Well, actually, here it is for hole eight. It'd be neat to see uh, generally a whole stat about this. But round two, hole six, a local, Zach Longiel, had the fastest recorded drive at 66 miles per hour. That was a backhand throw, hole eight. Eagle, choosing to throw forehand, smart guy, because that's the higher percentage birdie. <laughs> um, had the hole six. So hole six oh, is different. I have sorry. No idea. Yeah. Thanks for correcting me there. Eagle had the fastest forehand. 63 miles an hour so you're not seeing much more than 66 or 63 on that hole i'm interested in seeing how all the stats play out i know they're on hole 18 and others you're going to see some cool graphics stay on the lookout for those do you have any reaction nick i know you kind of zone out you're probably getting tired one but two the stats stats aren't really your thing but you enjoy talking a little bit about them i think 
I do. I actually, I've, I've learned to like the stats a lot more since partnering up with Statmando. They've made the process of knowledge throughout the whole thing a lot easier and definitely way more enjoyable. Um, I know that Dion was out on hole six the second round. Uh, him and Evan were both there. So I got to talk with them for a little bit because it's always a backup. But my shot, I think, went like 56 miles per hour. What? And I threw it back. So hole six, I'm not trying to throw my arm out on it. But that just shows the difference of, like, what people are throwing. Like, you know, Zach could have done that with the mid-range, maybe. And I threw a fairway driver on it. And right. Hole six, I played way over par this year. So, I don't know, maybe I need to throw it faster. I don't know. <laughs> so, I remembered because we remembered in the beginning. We asked Evan for a question. We got what the question was, hardest par three. Here was the answer to that. We're going all the way back, the beginning of the show to the end of the show. What? Did hole six play as the hardest par three on the Disc Golf Pro Tour this year? Stat or fiction? What do you think, Nick? Stat. Okay, very, very close, and I don't know the percentages, but the answer is Waco, hole 18 over the water, hole 18, final hole at Waco, because, and I don't want to just say it's because, but they changed it to a par three this year. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. So that outdid yeah. hole six but hole six at maple hill is second to that at this point in the season yeah. so people to, i i actually did notice this year i saw more twos on hole six this year than i have in years past uh which is frustrating because i think i went like four five four on the hole i think so uh seeing people to it is like damn it why can't i do that but um yeah the thing is for me I don't know. Never mind. Never matter. <laughs> Nick, Nick is at the end of the show, guys. We've made it. Ju- we've made it to the end of our show. But I will say, in closing out, uh, hole six, Connor O'Reilly, a guy who won at the NT Delaware. Oh. Shout out to him. We'll have to have him back on. He came into a really interesting show last week where it was kind of a whole bunch of players in studio. But shout out to him. I saw the most pure drive, Nick, I have ever, ever, ever seen on hole six. Um, the only problem was it landed about 15 feet from the basket, which is awesome, but it still allowed error room for error where his putt fell out of the chains. So he didn't get the two, but a backhand up the pipe with a late flip right down the right lane. Beautiful. First round, first round Colton Montgomery put it to probably 25 feet just on this butter, butter line is one of the most (laughs) impressive shots I've ever seen on that hole. I don't even know what he threw. I thought it said tactic, so it's either a really stupidly beat up one or I just completely read it wrong. Because um, I know it's an overstable disc, but maybe their baseline plastic beats up decently well. I have no idea. Um, but he put it to like 25 feet and unfortunately missed the putt too. And I was like, dude, I would, I would kill to be in that position to try to make that putt. It, so we both saw it. It'd be cool to do a compilation of like the pure shots on that hole for the whole event. And just like, it's probably like five people, but. <laughs> just to yeah. watch how amazing it played out um nick yeah. we made it to the end of the show i thought it was a pretty good one uh let us know people get in the review uh over on your podcast platform let us know what you think we work hard to bring you uh stuff that you find valuable we want you to leave the show feeling like there was value there was fun um maybe there's lightheartedness sometimes there's serious topics but nick is hardcore he's on the road he's at events and he's still doing it for us uh, we're working hard here. Nick, go ahead and close us out. I want to say thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I have no idea how many live viewers we have right now, but to anyone uh, watching on YouTube, go ahead, like, 
comment, subscribe to the YouTube channel, Foundation Podcast Network. Uh, they've been helping us out all year. We really appreciate them. Uh, and same with you guys. It helps us out. It's just a ton. If you can like, comment, subscribe, everything like that. Um, leave the reviews. We're actually going to read them this week. We'll talk about them next Monday, good or bad. Don't purposely leave, read bad ones. Um, if you think the show is good, go ahead and say it's good. Um, good luck to any of the competitors playing GMC this week. If you're listening to the show right now, tell someone, tell someone you love them this week. We'll catch you in the next one. That's right. Nick, you're awesome. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or stream us live exclusively on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel.